Welcome to the Be Your Best Self podcast. My name is Becky Taylor and I'm a transformational coach dedicated to helping every individual to become and continue to be the very best version of themselves possible. Each week I'm so incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to chat with people who have been massively influential in my life in the hope that their knowledge can in some way benefit you on your journey of transformation from who you were yesterday to who you dream of being tomorrow. On this week's episode, I have the incredible Diane McCann from Beyond the Ordinary joining me. Diane is a spiritual leader and change maker based in Adelaide, and she's worked in the field of human development for more than 50 years. Throughout this time, she's been working with people to bring awareness and information into their minds and hearts about their own potential as human beings. Diane has trained extensively in the US and UK over the years with many masters in their respective fields and has gained many qualifications including NLP, educational kinesiology, massage, chakra balancing, iridology, rebirthing and is also a fellow lifeline practitioner. Along with having her own very successful private practice for over five decades, Diane was also the co-founder and South Australian Director of the the Australian Institute of Rebirthing from 1985 to 1992 and was responsible for getting rebirthing into the prison system in South Australia. In the 90s though, Diane fell extremely ill with a condition which caused an abnormal protrusion of her eyeballs. For the next nine years, she struggled with the disease and in 2007, Diane read a book called The Power of Infinite Love and Gratitude where she was introduced to the Lifeline Technique, developed by Dr. Darren Wiseman from Chicago. Four months later, she flew to Chicago where she received her first Lifeline session. The very next day, she woke up to an improvement with her eyes that was beyond belief. One of her eyes was 100% back to normal and the other about 80%. And following on from this incredible experience, she decided to bring the Lifeline Technique to Australia where she then practiced herself as a lifeline practitioner for almost a decade. Now, I first came across Diane in late 2016, when I enrolled to learn the lifeline technique and embark on my journey of becoming a certified lifeline practitioner. We spoke on the phone a couple of times and then met in person in early 2017 in Adelaide. And this is where I first heard of Tantra. As soon as I heard Diane speak about the Tantra course she and her husband Robert run in Bali twice a year, I just knew it was something my fiancé and I had to do. The following September, we made our way over to Bali and had the most incredible time, absorbed in this beautiful space Robert and Diane created, which enabled us to heal, bond and connect on a level neither of us had ever experienced before. Upon our return from Bali, A few of our close friends became quite intrigued with what we'd been up to over there and I believe the practice of Tantra is something every one of our romantic relationships would benefit from tenfold. I'm so excited for you to learn more about Diane today so without any further ado I'd like to welcome Diane McCann to the show. Welcome Diane, thank you so much for being open to chatting today. Thank you for having me on, Becky. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm so excited and grateful for you to share your time and wisdom with us as I have no doubt that all of our listeners will be a much better version of themselves just by being immersed in all of the wisdom you have to offer. 
But before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a question. And the reason why I like to ask my guests this question is because I have so many clients when they first start coaching with me, really, really terrified of this one thing happening, um, I guess, by being involved or participating in the coaching. And that one thing, believe it or not, is crying. So I'd like to remove some of the fear and taboo around allowing ourselves to cry, if I can, by just opening up a little bit of conversation about when was the last time you cried and if you feel comfortable just telling our listeners why it was. Absolutely. I think that tears are the raindrops of the soul. I think they're really important. And I cried yesterday when I had a lifeline session um, in the morning. And then I cried again this morning, very different reason. Um, this morning, my heart was touched by something that I read about the plight of farmers and one man who was actually crying when he was speaking um, because he'd just lost one of his dearest friends who owned a farm and just watching him allowed me to tap into my feelings and my heart just went out to him so I cry a lot <laughs> not a lot but I cry when my heart is touched and I think it's something that we all need to learn to feel safe with because most human beings are brought up don't cry don't be a sissy you know it's a sign of weakness I totally believe that it's a sign of strength. Absolutely. And I think something that people are afraid of too, if they haven't allowed themselves to feel or express pain through tears, is that once they get started, they won't be able to stop as if it's like an endless pit of tears or pain or heartache. Um, but it, it does end, you know, at the point of complete darkness, as we know, there is light. Um, and the more we allow ourselves to feel and express those feelings and shed some tears, the easier it is each time as well. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. <laughs> so we, um, I guess, really got to know each other through um, our Tantra course that my fiancé Mick and I went to in Bali last September. So we I guess certainly we, did. We did. That um, your beautiful husband, Robert, and you run over there. Incredible. I guess... To get started, would you mind just sharing with our listeners how you discovered Tantra and what has been so beneficial not only to your relationship but for you as a woman? Well, absolutely. Uh, we discovered, I discovered Tantra actually when I was in my first marriage and I was very unhappy because even though my first husband who passed over is or was um, technically what one would call a good lover in inverted commas mm -hmm. there was no magic in it for me and I knew that there was something more to sex than anything that I had ever experienced so I started reading about it when I was in my late 20s early 30s and then years and years and years later when I met Robert and what we had was so incredible. And I'll bet you all of your listeners remember the early days of passion, the early days of love, when your heart is just 
aching to see this person and you're not eating as much and you know your knees go weak when the phone rings and you hear their voice all of that stuff that happens for just about everybody at some point or another mm -hmm. you can't keep your hands off each other however far those hands go even if it's just hugging and holding mm -hmm. and so for me when I met him what we had was so amazing like it was uh, like night and day from what my marriage had been like and I wanted to keep it forever and so because I'd been reading about Tantra and because he knew about it also not from ever having read about it but from working in the Middle East for a long time um, and learning about it over there we decided that we would go and find some teachers who would teach it to us and I was pretty cool by then. I was in my 30s, my early 30s, and, you know, I thought I knew everything there was to know about sex, really. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that I knew absolutely nothing. And so I went in with, with the front of being very cool and, yeah, I've got this all together. And it was all of those barriers, the fear that we put up, however we choose to hide that, just dissolved and what we came away with was a gift that was so precious that it changed our lives literally and so what it gave us was the tools to be able to find an intimacy that I had never found in sex you know my the the way they define intimacy is into me see and i had never felt seen into and what tantra did was taught us a whole range of things from being seen to seeing and tons and tons more shall i stop there and you can ask me something else what else did you <laughs> want to know Thank you. <laughs> and I guess now if we can touch on a little bit, um, obviously about building that deep level of intimacy and connection with our partners, but also how healing Tantra can be for us as well if there's been trauma in our lives and sexual trauma as well. And one thing that really stands out for me when we were over in Bali as well is you explained to us that our partner is our healer. And for me, having experienced sexual trauma, you know, a few times in my life, that was just, it was like a, like a bridge between Mick and I, I suppose. You know, it allowed me to be so much more open to him and to just see him in a whole nother light. So would you mind just touching on, I guess, if we could just talk about the healing benefits of Tantra as well and how important it is for us to heal that trauma that we hold, not only as a, an emotional and psychological memory, but that it's stored within our bodies as well. Absolutely. And it is, you know, I was raped when I was 11. And so I also understand sexual trauma and, you know, I in inverted commas got over it um on on the outside but 
anything that happens to us. And I, I'm not even talking sexual trauma, Becky. I'm talking about um, every time you say yes to, to having sex when you really want to say no. And yes. my experience is that I, in all the thousands of women that I have worked with over the last, you know, 31 years of running the goddess within i've only ever had one woman put her hand up and say i've never done that Mm -hmm. and i don't even know that i believed her you know everyone says yes when they want to say no and you know what's amazing even men make love when they don't really want to because it's how they feel close so it's a proven fact that when the body is impacted in some way, whether from being smacked, you know, a lot, whether from being, um, having sex when you don't want to, every one of those experiences impacts the cells of our body and leaves an imprint which can actually be felt and can actually be photographed. So, for instance, um, people who have been hit a lot, using Curlian photography, you can actually see the marks of a handprint on people's bodies, which is absolutely amazing. So if we're going to look at the genitals, then, you know, our... Should we start with some words as well? Because I'm... Absolutely. You know, okay. So women have what is called a vagina, which is a ridiculous word for what we do have because um, it doesn't even make any sense. Vagina, in actual fact, means sheath, something that holds something. But we are so much more than that. I mean, you know, our whole female genitalia is... it's very deep and it goes to the uterus and holds babies. And so in Tantra, and Tantra started 10,000 years BC at least, and it comes from um, two particular backgrounds, if you like. One of them is the Indian Hindu Buddhist way and the other one is the Chinese way which is called the Tao which is spelled T-A-O so if we're looking at what a woman is called let's use the Sanskrit terminology which is yoni y-o-n-i and yoni means sacred space now if I had known that I had a sacred space I can tell you right here and right now my entire teenage years would have been different after that rape because what happens with women who are sexually abused or raped is that their minds generally go one of two ways they either shut down completely or they become promiscuous and for six months after I was raped I became promiscuous because what was the point of being virtuous when this uh, this special thing that I was supposed to hold on to forever suddenly wasn't there, the hymen, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so literally I became promiscuous. And, you know, I hated every single second of it. The only reason I did it is because I was looking for love. I was looking for someone to love me. And that's how I thought I was going to get it. 
and which of course is absolute nonsense. So when we learnt Tantra, what I learned was that every time I had said yes when I wanted to say no, the cells in my body has had compacted. And so to be able to understand that, this is um, out there a bit, Becky, for people who, who've never thought about this kind of thing. But if you were to put your fingers inside yourself as a woman and feel your the just just the very inside of your yoni, just the tip around the the circle that could be considered to be a clock. You might find some bits that are a bit harder than others, or you might find a few spots that actually hurt. That is old pain. And our job, I believe, as women is to heal that pain. And what our man is in Tantra is a healer, absolutely. Um, and that's what we always tell men. Did you know that you're the healer for your goddess? And for us as women, we need to activate the heart chakra and the intimacy muscles of our men because nobody knows how to make love. Where do you ever learn that, for goodness sake? You know, in the backseat of a car or through some traumatic experience, you know, and I've had both men and women say their first sexual experience was totally traumatic. In fact, I gave a talk last Thursday and I said to people, put your hands up if you had a fantastic, amazing first sexual experience. And I did not have one hand up, not a man, not a woman. That for me is really sad because, you know, we're all missing something. And for women, it's no wonder that sex becomes a chore. You know, we are such diverse thinkers. And so we can be laying in bed, being made love to and having a wonderful time. And suddenly our mind will go, did I get the meat out of the freezer last night for today's sandwiches or tomorrow's sandwiches, you know, or whatever. Whereas a man is 100% focused. But a woman, we... we we're diverse and we're diverse because when eons ago we had a baby in a basket, we went out picking the berries or the vegetables or whatever to try to make a meal, we had to have our, our, our focus totally diffused so that we could become aware if there was a rustle in the bush so that we would go grab the baby in the basket and protect it, you know. And we still have a diverse thinking. So sexually, very few women are 100% in present time consciousness while they're being made love to. And I think it's really, really sad because, you know, then when we have kids, generally we um, are even less interested because our energy goes towards nesting and nurturing and looking after babies and children. And we've got to bring it back somehow so this is about healing me. And, you know, I, it's, it's been a while, I guess, well, it's been a year nearly since you did Tantra. Mm -hmm. But for a year and a bit before that, I have been studying with other people who are coming out with the most amazing information about women and about yonis and about that's where our power is 
and we have to start sinking down into it and really feeling how we feel owning it you know yes i really want to make love tonight no i don't actually want to make love tonight my body's not ready you know we but most of us have never asked our body we just think oh my god he wants to make love we haven't done it for a week oh we should yes okay and it's very 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 sad like this is such a huge subject becky that's why our training goes for five and a half days because <laughs> you know we often say we should do five days of personal development before we even start yes looking at tantra because we come from such different um, places when we begin and people are so shy around this subject people mm -hmm. i mean you think it's it's um a curiosity that people are afraid they're going to cry. My God, start talking about sex and see where they go. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I guess talking about language, you know, um, that we use around sex and also opening our minds to it being, you know, our, our yoni being our sacred space and that it being a sacred thing. As soon as I heard that, I was like, I, it was like a light bulb moment. Oh my God. Like, I feel like my whole sex, all of my life, every single sexual experience, my beliefs around it, everything would be completely transformed from day one. If this is even the language that I had of heard. Um, and I guess, I guess we can sort of move on to the shame and taboo around sexuality. Um, generally speaking you know it's there's a lot of that, that. <laughs> it's something that everybody does you know but it's like nobody really talks about it and definitely nobody had ever spoken about it as it being sacred or having deep connection or my partner being my healer or honoring myself and that's another thing that really stood out from me from our time um, with you in bali as well is this concept or this rule almost that it became then of listening to our body and giving permission you know whether male or female for that person to i guess enter us as a woman and then also for our partner to learn how important it is for them to ask us you know may i yes. enter you to get that permission and it's not giving that permission on a logical level you know because a logical level is just like a yes or no yeah. But allowing some time and space to really, I guess, settle into our body and listen to our yoni and connect with that and go, are you ready? You know, this is like a whole nother universe almost in that area, you know, like it is a sacred space and allowing ourselves that time and space to connect and allow our body to speak for yes. us. And our body will speak. God, the women who are listening to this, your yoni will tell you yes or no. And maybe you're 95% ready. You know what? That is not enough. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not enough. And if we were educated um, in the terminology, you know, like uh, we haven't even touched on men, but a man, some of the words for men are disgusting. Mm -hmm. You know, the dick and the prick and the you know, who knows the tool, they're all very hard, cruel words. Whereas um, in Tantra, a male is considered to have 
a lingam, which means a wand of light. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather have a wand of light in a sacred space than a prick in a pussy, you know? And, and it's so true. It's like we respond to language a lot. And one of the things that is amazing and that I um, tell people these days is that if a man whispers beautiful things to a yoni, it will respond. It will get juicier. <clears throat> Excuse me. It will change its colour. It will change its texture. And if you don't believe me, guys, if you happen to be listening to this, go try it. You know, it's like that part of your beloved, which is the word for your partner. She's not your Sheila or your whatever. She's your beloved. That part of her is so tuned in and has been so shut down and has been so shamed. I mean, I was totally horrified when, and this is worldwide, but I just happened to see the advertisement in Bali. In one of the newspapers, it said, come and see us if you would like a designer vagina. I mean, hello, a designer vagina? What are you on about? Well, because women feel that they are in some way malformed. Women are not educated to understand that one of their labia lips might be a different size to the other one. And so when, if they look, they get embarrassed. And it's like they only look at themselves. If they looked at everybody, they would know that basically everyone is different. You know, every man's lingam is different. There are no two the same and there are no two yonis the same. One of the biggest um, plastic surgeries that's going on, especially in young girls, which horrifies me, is literally um, having their labia lips cut to make them the same size so that they're uniform. How ridiculous is that? I mean, do you know that one of your breasts is a different size to the other? If you look at your face, the right side is very different from the left side. Mm -hmm. So it's like we need to change our perception about what we think we should look like and what we think we should feel like for a man. You know, I mean, I couldn't even believe it when I read that women were having artificial hymens put back mm. into their bodies, you know, and they were having their yonis tightened. It's like having a facelift of the yoni. Why in the world would you want to do that? <laughs> if only we understood that all of that stuff makes no difference to the actual feeling inside us when we wake up. I say that women and men are anaesthetised in our genitalia so women's yonis are anesthetized and men's lingams are anesthetized and of course a lot of that comes from that word you use called shame it's like we might what about if you were sexually abused and what about if as a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 13-year-old you actually enjoyed it if it was an ongoing thing and there's a part of you that screams this is awful, this shouldn't be happening. I'm not talking about one-on-one -on -one rape. I'm talking about 
the people who groom young girls mm -hmm. and who tell them you have to keep this quiet, you know. But what about if they actually enjoy it, which, of course, many of them do, but then they feel shame. Or the girl who falls in love with the boy and they finish up making love mainly because he wants to. Mm -hmm. and he puts the pressure on and then the girl is called all those great names. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a slut, you're a whatever some of the other words are. I mm -hmm. don't even know them. But, you know, I mean, shame is such a waste of energy. And I'm going to recommend that if you know that you're carrying shame, any of your listeners, go online and find Brene or Brain Brown, B-R-E-N-E Brown, and look at what she has to say about shame mm -hmm. and vulnerability. Yep. Because I believe that part of our journey of healing, and for me, that's why everyone's on the planet, is to actually love, be of service, and heal what doesn't work in ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. So if we are going to heal, then we actually have to admit the stuff that's happened in our lives. Um, what fascinates me about the whole sexual arena is what goes on right now with young girls and young guys. You know, I'm probably sure that it's around your neck of the woods as well, but I know in some of the country towns in South Australia and Victoria, there was this thing going on called the Rainbow Brigade. <clears throat> and these were young girls and young guys and the girls would put on different coloured lipstick and a man, a boy would get his lingam out and the girls would just go and just mouth it with their lipstick and then the next girl would do the same. And the one who won, W-O-N, was the one who got the kid to orgasm. I mean... That to me is just appalling that that's happening with young girls in country towns and cities everywhere when we've got young girls saying oral sex isn't sex. Yeah, I, just, I mean, I heard a, a podcast a couple of days ago and the, these girls they were interviewing said, oh, yeah, but, you know, I don't want to make love to him, <clears throat> so I'll just go down on him. Mm. I mean, unbelievably bad language and mm. unbelievably appalling way to move into what is an incredibly sacred time. But I understand because my parents never spoke about sex at all and so I knew absolutely nothing. And I think that as parents we have to absolutely educate our children about the sacredness and the beauty of lovemaking as much as we... Um, advise them, you know, to listen to their bodies, which is where we started this little conversation. Listen to your body. See whether you really are ready. See whether it's just a body thing or a heart thing or a mind thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important. Absolutely. And I think definitely, I mean, I, I'm not a parent yet, but um, when we do become parents, I think it's incredibly important but we also have to realise that we need to do that ourselves first as people. Absolutely. You know? Because it's like practice what you preach. And, <coughs> and our children, you know, children copy their parents. So it's all good and well to tell them what to do, but you need to show them as well. And I think that that moves into something else that I wanted to talk about. 
as well um, with regards to pornography and how easily accessible it is. And I read a post on Facebook a little while ago and it was a mother of a teenage daughter who was extremely unhappy um, and shared her thoughts on this on Facebook, as we do, about what her daughter had been taught in the sex ed class at high school. And yes, she'd been taught about periods in her body, how not to fall pregnant, how to put a condom on. But the teacher also touched on the topic of sex being pleasurable for women as well. And this mother was irate. She was so unhappy about it as if that was the only in the first place that her daughter would actually learn that sex could be pleasurable. But I think what's more concerning is the reality that our children and teenagers are learning about sex from porn. And if you've ever been to a porn site and had a look at what's on there, what first pops up, you know, they used to be so incredibly hard to get to, I think, without actually investing money to be able to see anything. Now it's just free to air, you know, anybody can access that kind of thing. But what's going on in those videos and the influence that's having as well one, there's no connection between the two people whatsoever. It's just a physical act. And so much of it is just goal orientated. And most yeah. of the focus is on the goal for the man as well. Of course. Um, I couldn't agree more. It's appalling. And we have, <clears throat> excuse me, a massive problem worldwide, not just in Australia, with porn becoming the um, go-to, if you like. And I have been with many, many, many couples who, whose partners are addicted to porn. And it's easy because they don't have to have a connection. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to feel, they don't have to um, have any eye contact. They don't have to do anything. All they have to do is watch a screen and masturbate. And of course, masturbation is something that we never talk about either. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it, it's a no-no. Most people, when their kids touch themselves, they smack the hand away or say, oh, don't do that. You know, it's like, so we, we grow up thinking that it's dirty. So porn becomes the, ooh, you know, it's like telling a child you can't have another chocolate. What does mm -hmm. the child want? chocolate so sex is something that is so hidden behind closed doors that if we were open about it to begin with if we educated both girls and boys that their bodies are sacred that sex is a sacred act then i think we could begin to change the conversation around this whole pornography thing which is <clears throat> excuse me it's very pervasive and you know I think it's it's mainly men but it's also women you know who who watch porn mm -hmm. but more so men and then when they get together with someone it's like well this is what I expect I was horrified when 59 shades of gray came out you know mm -hmm. because that was about um you know yeah I'll tie you up whether you, whether you want it or not oh well, you have a word that you can use that if it goes too far, but it's almost gave young boys permission to want to do that to young girls. And I heard that there was a lot of that going on, you know, a lot of 
I mean, it's always been there, you know. There's always been people who've liked being tied to the bedpost. Mm -hmm. But um, why is the question? And it's because we have closed our hearts and we have not felt our sacredness of our bodies because if we did, there's no way that we would go there. So, you know, in Tantra, it's like, you know, in, in sorry, in real life or whatever you call the world that most people live in, I call it fantasy world, but, you know, lots of people have quickies, right? I haven't had a quickie for years and years and years and years, ever since I started Tantra. Why? Because I couldn't be bothered. You know, it's like I would way rather have um, a short period of connection at the heart and at the yoni and the lingam and the eyes than I would have a quickie that doesn't really do much except it, it it's fast and this is what we are, isn't it? We're a fast society. Let's go to Mecca's and grab a meal. I also have never, ever, ever eaten at a McDonald's. So, you know, it's like for pornography, if, if you were raised in a family that taught you that sex was sacred and that you, your body was sacred and that sex was something really, really beautiful, making love was one of the most wonderful things in the world, then you would be turned off by porn. Mm-hmm. And so what's under all of this is, is closed-mindedness that comes from generations back, you know, from the Victorian age, let's not talk about it. And it basically hasn't changed all that much. It's like if you've got someone who's appalled because their child is being told that this can be really beautiful, this is a wonderful experience, then how different would that be? I mean, we have some amazing assistants who come and assist at Tantra and the people, two, two of them, the, the woman, she's in her 60s and she's totally remarkable. And she said when she was young, every Sunday after Sunday roast lunch, her parents would go to bed and the kids would know that they were going, they were not to be disturbed. She said they never locked the door it was always just ajar, but she said, what I would hear was my mother giggling and laughter. And she said, I would always get this funny feeling inside me that whatever they were doing was something really, really special. That was wonderful. Whereas for most human beings, they never heard their parents making love. You know, it was always keep quiet and don't talk about it. And one of my favourite um, books from many, many, many years ago was talking about a, a woman who said, God, how different would my life have been if when I was really stressed coming, coming into year 12 or something, you know, and schoolwork was driving me crazy and I felt like I didn't fit. If one day when I came home, my mum took one look at me and said, oh, darling, you look so stressed. Why don't you go to bed and masturbate? Mm-hmm. And when you come back into the kitchen, we'll have a cup of tea and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's like so long as you hide things, and I don't care what it is, whether you hide the fact that you've had an affair and your beloved always knows anyway on some level, mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter what you hide, if you shine the light of love into it, 
and expose that dark part, as you said earlier, put the light into the dark. Mm -hmm. You know, it comes up to the surface and then you can examine it from the truth of what's real. Mm-hmm. And the truth of what's real is that we are still coming out of the Victorian era when it comes to sex and we don't know how to talk about it. Women don't know how to ask for what they want. Um, you know, I said to men at a talk I gave last week, guys, put your fingers in your ear because, you know, I'm going to say something that you're not going to really want to hear. And they all laughed. And I said, men, you know absolutely nothing about sex, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then all the women cheered and laughed. And I said, and women, you know what? You know even less. (laughs) You know, and it's so true. If only we could educate ourselves. And I think that if we had educated parents, the same with anything, I don't care what it is. We're at this place where when you do become a parent, Becky, Mm -hmm. your whole way of teaching your children will be different. Mm -hmm. We have young people whose kids are now older and both in relationships, but when they were little, they, the, the parents had actually done Tantra and they taught their children that they had a yoni and that means sacred space, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so it's about education. And if we have education, it will change everything for the next generation. You know, my heart goes out to this generation who don't have a clue. And I still think if we can open our hearts and learn to feel in the feeling comes the healing. Mm-hmm. And in the feeling comes, oh, you know what? I'm not really getting much out of this. What do I need? Well, how do you know what you need if you've never touched yourself, if you've never asked yourself, if you've never listened to what your body is screaming at you? I mean, we know from the position of health that ill health and disease, etc., often comes from um unexpressed emotions Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing sexually if we don't know what our body is like if we don't know what our yoni feels like how are we ever going to say to our beloved men darling can you just move an inch to the left and just put your fingers there and just hold it there because there's something there that's scary for me or even just saying, I'm not ready to make love tonight and taking a couple of breaths and then feeling into that. You know what? My whole belly is feeling really nervous and, and I'm scared. And just looking at what that comes from and if you breathe into it, it will go away. And then the, the energy of what's under it can come up because everything is layer upon layer upon layer. So, yes, we have a major problem with pornography and, yes, we have a major problem with women not being in touch with their bodies or men and I think healing is the only way that we can actually move through it and in order to do that, you've got to get educated. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to read about it, you need to learn about it, you know, do whatever you can do but take yourself into places that you've never allowed yourself to go to because it's having a huge impact on our society, our fear and our unwillingness to look at the truth. Mm -hmm. And something really important that you touched on then as well, a couple of things is, you know, 
relationships and sex are two things, I guess, and also as well processing our emotions too, but relationships and sex are two things that we're never taught about. Yeah. But we assume that we should just know how to be successful at both of them. Of course. And that taking the pressure off ourselves and being open to if we're experiencing problems or find something a little bit confusing or just have that burning desire or that inner knowing that there's got to be more to this, you know, or we keep making the same mistakes and reach out and find a mentor or educate yourself, read a book, listen to a podcast, do a course and enable yourself to grow and evolve and learn the skills that we don't, we don't have those skills. You know, I, I often just think about it with tradespeople or doctors or, you know, dentists, whoever it is, you know, the same, you know, as myself now as a certified lifeline practitioner, my coaching business, I didn't just go and start it and assume that I would know what to do. You know, you, someone doesn't come and build your house. You don't have a builder come along who just one day just started building houses. Like we have to learn and it's no different, but for some reason we just assume that we should know these things. So there's our pride as well, but there's so much confusion around that too. And then there's also shame as well about if we realize or we know, oh, I don't know this, but for some reason I think that I should because nobody's ever taught me. So what's wrong with me then because I'm failing at this or I don't know. Um, Exactly. And also too, you know, opening our minds for yes, just yes, sex being sacred, but also that there being so much more to it than just, you know, reaching the goals. And I think it's about taking the goals off the field. And as you spoke, you know, you would much rather 10 minutes of, you know, yoni and lingam connection with eye contact, just being there with our partner in that sacred space and having that connection and the intimacy than a quickie. But so we, when we think of sex, we think of that's what it's about. It's not classified as sex if we just connect with one another for 10 minutes, if there's not that goal of having an orgasm, one person at least, then it's like that's not sex. And usually the man. And usually the man, absolutely. So I think it's about educating ourselves and being open to exploring this whole new world out there that there's so much more pleasure um, and sacredness too rather than the narrow-mindedness that we just learn. Well, that's beautifully said, Becky, and it's totally true. It's like we expect people to know how to make love. We expect that we know what to do. And the truth is we, we don't because we've never been educated. And I say to people, where did you learn about sex? In the backseat of a car, you know? And when you look at something like Tantra, which takes, I mean, if, if I were to describe the difference between the best lovemaking session that you've had sex-wise and Tantra, I would say it's the difference between eating at McDonald's and a five-star restaurant. Mm -hmm. Sex is purely about genitals. You get hot, the passion is high, you have sex, and, you know, the truth is for men, the limit that most men can go for is four minutes before they actually orgasm. So... For a woman, it's 16 minutes. 
So where does that leave us? You know, like most women have never been totally heartfelt fulfilled. So Tantra is about the heart, not about the genitals. And it's this slow burning passion that lasts forever. I mean, literally forever. Uh, it's something that you build on every single day. And it heals past trauma. It is the missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle because it basically takes two and creates one, mm -hmm. which gives that intimacy and that connection that is unlike anything else. And it's never about the orgasm. And, you know, I think what's sad is what you said, that, um, that we're not educated because when women go home and say to their husbands, oh, I really want to do Tantra, and the guys say, what's that? And they say, oh, well, you know, it's about sex. And the men often say, well, what's wrong with sex? We've been, we've been having it for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. You know, like, what's wrong with how I've been making love? We've been making love. You've never complained before. It's not about knowing that something is wrong. It's about knowing that to become a master, you know, when you first learned Lifeline mm -hmm. and, and you certified, you were good. But now that you've been doing it for X amount of time and you've done tons of sessions, you refine it and you're better than you were in the beginning. And that's true with anything, whether you, no matter what you do, it's about becoming a master. And it's the difference between going to kindergarten and getting a master's degree. And a master's degree takes time, it takes energy, and it takes effort. And you know what? Most people can't be bothered. But for me, I want a master. <laughs> you know, I want to be a master and I want to live with a master who is exceptional in the field of opening my heart to him and him opening his heart to me. Because it changes the nature of relationships completely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you're so right. You know, it, it's a practice, not a perfect. And so many of us, we become disheartened because we're not perfect at the beginning, but there's no master without starting at the kindergarten level. And the time will pass no. anyway. You know, we're going to be intimate with our partners anyway. So why not practice? You know, we're going to get older, we're going to experience things in life. So why not give ourselves the tools, skills, and build on our ability to cope and enjoy and thrive, grow, evolve? You know, it just makes our experience of life so much richer, I believe. And this is just such a massive part of our life. You know, it's in our relationships as well. Like sex isn't everything in a relationship, but when it's not there, it is everything. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And when that goes, communication goes mm -hmm. and, you know, um, all kinds of things come into play, don't they? So it's like, yes, we need to learn how to do it differently. We need to learn how to open our hearts. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's really scary. Just in normal, ordinary, everyday um, communications. <coughs> Most people don't have eye contact, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I know couples at Tantra who've been together for over 20 years who've never looked into each other's eyes. It's like, how does that, how does that even happen? Mm -hmm. You know, they're having a conversation, but they don't actually ever see each other. 
And it's that whole thing about being open and being open is scary for many, many, many people. But if only they could understand that by opening, they free themselves up for so much more, whatever that is, you know. And it's such a joy to see people who've been married 30, 40 years suddenly acting like 15-year-old school children Mm -hmm. (laughs) who are just so in love. And, you know, it's just such a beautiful thing to have that, that heartfelt connection because, you know, life moves on, like you say, you're going to have sex, you're going to make love, you may as well do it to the best that you can, like cooking, you know, like learn how to do it differently. That's why we have MasterChef. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or whatever, not that I ever watch it, but yeah. And thermomix. So, <laughs> and thermomix is absolutely the most amazing device on the entire planet. You know? Like, I actually, do you know, I actually considered quitting running seminars and talking to people about thermomixes oh, for about yeah. two seconds in my life. Yeah. And that was, that was 11 years ago. But, the yeah, and it's like, it's the same thing. It's like get better at what you do. Yes, absolutely. And know that relationships are the most important things in the whole world, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you're expressing yourself to your husband or wife emotionally you're you're kissing each other in front of your kids you're hugging each other you're you know you have that connection then you give them something precious to hold on to so that when they grow up that's what they want as well Mm -hmm. and like without that you know like I was at a funeral yesterday and my friends have been married for 50 years And it just makes me sad that so many people never get to experience that the depth that we can go to in our emotions of being connected. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it's such a basic need as a human being is for connection, you know, and Brene Brown talks about that as well. And, you know, I love her work, what she's done and how, she educates people on the power of vulnerability, but I honestly believe, you know, and, and you mentioned before the before the Tantra course, you almost need five days spent on personal development. And it's true, you know, we really need to build that foundation and yeah. build ourselves as well. And in order for us to be vulnerable, which then allows us to have those deep human connections, we need to be able to own our story. And we can't own our story until we heal past trauma, you know, whether it be, and we think of trauma and sometimes we think it needs to be something really significant, but you know, no. it, trauma for a two-year-old can be falling off a bike. You know, that's, that's what I right. say to so many of my clients, but when you're two, you don't know what to do with those emotions and these things get stored away. So it's about peeling back the layers and allowing ourselves to feel And it. Processing trauma doesn't necessarily have to be traumatic. You know, no. so many different tools out there. There's so many different processes to go through. Um, it's incredible, you know, but we need to be able to make peace with the past. And the only way that we can really be, you know, have the confidence to be able to go forward, move forward into the future and to be present right now and not be anxious about the future is to have a full understanding of what happened in the past so we can then prevent those traumatizing events and that pain happening again in the future and we can't do that without that understanding and the ability to know why it happened and then what I can do different to prevent it from happening again 
And it's all a part of the process. But we do really need to be able to own our story before we can be completely vulnerable because being vulnerable, we're so afraid of other people judging us when realistically we're just judging ourselves first and foremost. And what we're so afraid of other people saying or thinking about us is what we think and say about and to ourselves. Mm, absolutely, Becky. Absolutely. And what, what you see in Goddess, I teach people, you know, your patterns because patterns are so powerful. So the patterns that we create in our life that we see with our parents and there's 10 major patterns and we take on generally one major one and often a, another one as well, a smaller one, we carry those through. So, you know, for me, I was married 16 years to my first husband before I realised that I'd married my mother and I couldn't stand my mother. <laughs> I had a terrible relationship with her. And if you told me prior to somewhere in that 16 years, oh, you married your mother, I would have said, you're out of your mind. Of course I didn't. <laughs> but, of course, my, my experiences, even though mother husband were very different the flavor was exactly the same and if you do not heal your past you will never uh, there's a saying which i really love and it is to um to be the adult that i want to be i have to free the child that i used to be yes. and that is so true we have to let go and heal all of the stuff that happened before from in utero through birth through early childhood we don't know where those little traumas come from and like you said some of them can be really tiny mm -hmm. but they are really major in how we do life as an adult which is which is a really simple thing you know you get into a you had a father who was an alcoholic you get into a relationship with someone who's an alcoholic you finally get out of that relationship there is a huge amount of people who then second relationship guess what same mm -hmm. thing so it's it's the pattern mm -hmm. you know and changing and breaking the patterns comes from being willing to do the healing and you know telling the truth to yourself because in the end you're the only one that matters so it's that as you said being vulnerable speaking the truth and going oh gosh that's what i've been doing mm -hmm. i see now where that comes from mm -hmm. and of course the lifeline technique heals on a very 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 deep level and shifts layers and layers and layers so you know i highly recommend i highly recommend you go see becky in the session anyway yeah, <laughs> bit hard if you live in africa but you know <laughs> i think something too that we need to be really aware of as well is that any trauma any pain from the past that we don't heal that's happened in our lifetime we then pass down to our children and so and if you think yeah sorry and no, i was gonna, I I was gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say and on the same note as you heal, you heal seven generations back and seven generations forward. Yes. Now yes. that is very powerful. It's incredible. It's incredible. And you can notice those shifts happening as well. But then what we also need to be aware of is, okay, like all of the stuff that's been passed down generation, generation to me as well that I carry with me, you know. And it's also talking about, um, you know, 
growing up in a family where there's, um, you know, one of our parents is an alcoholic and then we repeat the patterns um, and patterns like that, where we then end up in a relationship with an alcoholic can be really obvious, but sometimes the patterns can repeat, but not be so obvious. You know, we know about, subtle. Mm. Yeah, subtle and sort of have a reverse effect. You know, you see children who have grown up in families where maybe the father abused the mother and they may not necessarily end up in an abusive relationship as adults, but they potentially avoid conflict. Yes. And don't yes. aren't able to put boundaries in place because they're so afraid of what disagreement or speaking their truth or owning their power, what the repercussions or the end result of that would be. And it's the same thing, whether we're aware of it or not. Yes. Some things absolutely. are really obvious and some things aren't obvious. And so sometimes we can think that we kind of got away with it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but no, you never get away with it. You never get away with it, you know. We no, need we need to feel it to heal it and experience things. Um, yeah. yeah, and the the doing that is the most incredibly powerful thing as a human being that we can do, and the difference that it makes in our lives is incredible. Oh, absolutely! I mean, people go from chalk. <coughs> You know, it's like chalk and cheese, isn't it? You know, I had a um, a friend who was abused uh, as a child and because it was her mother who did it, uh, she didn't know what to do with that. And so as a young person, she started getting really severe migraines. And the migraines, as an adult, would write her out for three, four days at a time, consistently, to the point where, you know, this beautiful, beautiful human being was barely functioning. And once she confronted it and it started doing the healing on it and started doing lifeline sessions, it changed her life. I mean, totally changed her life. So it happens every day of the week. I mean, we all see it, those of us who work with other people, that when you change, everything around you changes. You know, you just create miracles in your life instead of misery in your life. And who doesn't want a few miracles, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you anymore. So I think that um, pretty much takes us to the end of our time today. Um, I feel like we could probably just sit here and chat the next six hours about all of this <laughs> stuff, but I don't know how long our listeners would hold on for. People need to work and eat and sleep and do laundry and things like that. They but um, I'm so incredibly grateful to have crossed paths with you um, and for all that I've learned from you and everything that you've shared today. Before we finish, but there's just a couple of things. First of all, are you able to just share with people how people can get in touch with you or find you, whether it be website, Facebook, Instagram? Certainly. So um, my website is www.beyondtheordinary.net.net.au. So beyondtheordinary.net.au. Facebook is just Diane McCann. And um, I'm not on Instagram. I should be, but I'm not. And my email is the same. If you want to send me a question or something, I'm very good at answering things like that. And that's just beyond at 
internode.on.net, but all of that's on the website. And I really appreciate your time, Becky, interviewing me. It's been a great morning. You're right. We could have just gone on and on and on and on. <laughs> and maybe we'll do it again on a different subject. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, so to, yeah, go on. No, your turn. I was just going to say, just before we finish, I just wanted to ask you a question. What's one thing that we can do every day to be the best version of us possible? Mm, it's, a, it's a cliche, Becky, but I believe that when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, instead of looking in the sink, look into that mirror. Really look into those beautiful eyes of yours and tell yourself whatever your intention is for the day, that you are beautiful. I mean, I stopped doing mirror work. I did it for years and years and years and years, and I'm in my 70s. So, you know, I started doing personal development when I was just gone 12. So that's a lot of years. And for many of those years, I did mirror work. And then I thought, oh, yeah, I'm all done. I'm fine. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to do it anymore. And then just in the last six months or so, I've got my mirror back out again and I look in that mirror and like Louise, Hall, Louise Hay always said, you know, look in the mirror, tell yourself you're beautiful, tell yourself you deserve to have it all, whatever it is that you're actually after. I mean, that's a really simple thing because you look in the, you will, you're in the bathroom where there is a mirror cleaning your teeth every day, look up. And acknowledge yourself, you know, for whatever it is that you've done that day before you go to sleep at night. Just acknowledge yourself. And sometimes all you're going to be able to say is, I survived the day, you know. That's an acknowledgement, isn't it? But some days are tougher than others. And I guess I'm going to add another one. Be gentle on yourself. You're doing the absolute best you know how to do. If you knew how to do it any differently, you would have. And you will. So just keep learning. There you go. There's four things. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm just sitting here with a massive grin on my face and thinking, yes, I need to put my post-it note back up onto my mirror in the bathroom to remind myself to remind myself how amazing yes. I am. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, exactly. We do forget. And it's important that we remember because when we act you know, there's that saying, act as if. When I first began telling myself that I was beautiful and I was amazing, I used to put it on a tape recorder and I had a pillow that you could plug the tape recorder into. I mean, I'm going back 50 years, right? Mm -hmm. And so I used to listen to these words every night when I went to sleep because I was so unhappy and so sad. And I just kept doing that kind of thing. I just kept telling myself and some days it's really hard to believe but other days it's easier and some days you get to a place where at my age I go you know what I'm absolutely amazing you know I I am a phenomenal woman I've lived a phenomenal life I'm very grateful for everything for the good and the bad and I think that's important to not see anything as being you know, the most detrimental thing in the whole world, but to go, what did I learn from that? What did I learn from that experience with that person or that whatever it happens to be, that situation? What am I learning? Because, 
you know, the way I see it, my vision is world peace. And the way I see it, if we all loved ourselves totally, 100%, we would have no war. We would have peace on this planet because there would be nothing to fight over. And if I'm going to believe that who I am is reflected in everyone around me, then if, I, if there is war, then I still need to do some healing on me. Mm-hmm because it's my movie. So I keep healing myself every day. There's not a day goes by without I don't do some form of personal development on myself. So to everyone who's listening, get out that post-it, look in that mirror, acknowledge yourself, put your arms around yourself and give yourselves a hug. And if that makes you cry, celebrate. (laughs) Absolutely. Beautifully said. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you, Becky. Really appreciate your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to speaking again. I think there's definitely a few more topics we can chat about on a couple of other podcasts as well. (laughs) Fantastic. I look forward to it. And to everyone, infinite love and gratitude. Infinite love and gratitude. How incredible was that? If you want to hear more episodes like this, please subscribe via iTunes and feel free to follow me on Facebook by searching Becky Taylor Transformational Coach and that's spelled B-E-C-K-I-E or my website is beckytaylor.com. Have an amazing day. Keep shining bright. Infinite love and gratitude.